Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 11 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm your host, Andy's Mom. Today, I talk with Michelle Shedd, Nathan's mom. Nathan died after only a few hours of life. Michelle found out that her son had a condition that would not allow him to live longer than a few minutes or hours at her 20-week ultrasound. Although the medical team recommended terminating the pregnancy, Michelle and her husband ultimately decided to give Nathan as much life as they could give him. Had Nathan survived, he would be 23 years old today. 23 years ago, there were no grief support groups or services for families in the area. Although I feel as if grief is a taboo subject now, it was even more so 20 years ago. We talk about the slow healing process and the hard work that is required on this journey. We also discuss giving grace to ourselves and to others. Michelle brought me a beautiful rock to remind me of this grace. Go to my website, andysmom.com, to see a picture of the rock. Please go on iTunes and leave a review of the podcast. Also, I love it when people leave comments about the episodes or my blog posts on my website. Be sure to reach out with different show ideas as well. Thank you so much, Michelle, for agreeing to come in today. Thank you for having me. So we have a different Michelle today. We've already had one Michelle, so this is an entirely different Michelle. Um, Great name, though, huh? Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm a 1L Michelle. Oh, she's a 1L Michelle. Okay. So that does not help no. the whole situation at all. No. <laughs> no. Um, so I want to start out, Michelle, by having you tell me a little bit about your son, Nathan. Nathan, my son, Nathan. I found out in January, um, several many years ago, mm-hmm. of 1996, mm-hmm. that I was pregnant with my third child. Now, my husband and I at the time had been trying for several years. We had two older children, one the age of 13 at the time and one the age of 11, mm-hmm. a boy and a girl. So we were thrilled to death to find out that I was pregnant. Yeah. And um, pregnancy proceeded through the months, and um, we were joyfully expecting another little person in our home. And... Um, we enjoyed every minute. I can't say that I had any early pregnancy problems or mm-hmm. situations, but I didn't with the other two either. Yeah. So I was one of the lucky women that never had morning sickness, never had real huge cravings, um, but tired. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was part and parcel for being the third one. Sure, sure. <laughs> and yeah. the, and the You're third, not as young as you were with the, those first two. Yeah. Right. And the third one was going to be the diplomat. There wasn't going to be a his or a hers or a theirs or a mine. It was the third person that was going to be the diplomat in the family. Mm-hmm. And so we were excitingly awaiting for him. Um, 
And we found out in April, the Monday after Easter Sunday, at a 20-week ultrasound Mm -hmm. that Nathan was not viable for life. Mm -hmm. Um, The ultrasound technicians started taking measurements like they do and suddenly became very quiet. Well, me being a retired nurse, knowing when they get that quiet, there's a situation that's not good. And she started measuring things and telling me that she's not sure if she's measuring accurately. And in my head, I'm thinking, you've done this a thousand times. Yeah. You're accurate. There's a situation. And when she excused herself to go get a physician, I knew that there was a bigger problem than I had expected. And you were a working nurse at the time. And I was a working nurse at the Mm -hmm. time. And unfortunately, I was by myself because I thought it was going to be routine, a routine ultrasound. Mm -hmm. So the physician came in and proceeded to ask me um, historical questions about my siblings and my parents and height and weight and size issues. And still nobody was coming forward with any explanation of what was going on. Mm -hmm. And finally I sat up with goo all over my tummy and said what's going on right and he then said well it looks like your son has um, some type of dwarfism Mm -hmm. we're not sure what but things look pretty crucial we're going to refer you to a neonatologist specialist Mm -hmm. so I was seen within the week and they did more ultrasounds and vaginal ultrasounds and confirmed that he had um, some sort of process going on that wasn't allowing his bones to mineralize as he was growing Mm -hmm. or strengthen. So not just like a typical dwarfism that you might expect. Expect. Right. Entirely different, much more severe. Much more severe. Mm -hmm. So the physician was worried about calcium levels, I think, in my blood and suggested that I terminate the pregnancy and sent his referral on to my primary OBGYN to terminate the pregnancy. Um, Because the fact that his bones weren't mineralizing, it it would you know, potentially affect you. Affect me, correct. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was that fear. So my husband did go to that ultrasound with me, and when we left, the car was stone quiet. Right. Neither of us could talk. And I think when we got home, we just sort of fell apart. Right. And discussed what he wanted and what I wanted. And luckily, we both were parents and had wanted the same thing. That if this was the only way we were going to give life to this child, and this is what the good Lord wanted, that's what we were going to do. Yeah. And we proceeded to tell family members and what the issue was and share information with just family members. Unfortunately, his family was more of the mindset, the older mindset, that you don't discuss things. Yeah. You don't discuss an ill child. You don't discuss the possible death of a child. Um It just is going to happen. My family, I think my sisters most of all, were more supportive and helpful. And um, as the pregnancy progressed, of course, you're going in multiple times a week for measurements and blood work and more testing. Right, because they were probably keeping close eye on your calcium and things like that. Yep, and my heart rate and blood pressure and weight and... And um, they did an um, amniocentesis, mm-hmm. and we had decided to know what wanted to know what the sex was, so we could, the, as a family, pick out a name. 
Mm-hmm. And we did that, and we found out it was a boy. And um, what we did with our other two children at the time, as the pregnancy progressed, is um, I would lay on my back and put a quarter on my stomach. Mm-hmm. And we would watch Nathan move the quarter around my yeah. belly and sometimes fall off because that was the only interaction I could really give my kids at the time while he was still alive. Right. And my kids still remember that and talk about it. And my son still has that quarter. Really? Yeah. And he's That's 38 so years old now. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And um, so the pregnancy progressed as best as it could. Um, I think one of the most difficult things is finding outside support with the medical community mm-hmm. as a whole. Um, even my church community and um, shopping for a, um, a casket instead of a cradle was very difficult. Oh, yeah. And I don't think the funeral home director knew exactly what to say or do. Right. And help us with anything per se. Especially I mean, because you have a growing, living child within you. Right. And it, it's hard to think that as soon as that child is not within you, right, you won't be able to survive. You won't be able to survive. That you're the only thing keeping him alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I at the time prayed to God that the only thing that we asked is that we get to see him alive mm-hmm. and that we get to see his face. Yeah. And um, that was the only thing we really asked in earnest every mm-hmm. night for, mm-hmm. that this was God's will and this was his plan and to bring glory to his name, that's what we were going to do. Mm-hmm. But as parents, that's what we really needed from God. Yeah. So. And that's, that's amazing to me, too, to think about. I, I read a book recently where she knew her child was going to die, and, and her church family was saying, we've been praying for a miracle, we're praying for a miracle. And she said, that's not how we're praying. Mm-hmm. They prayed much more like you did um, to be able to see their child alive. They knew what was happening. They knew the syndrome that was going on. Um, And you don't pray for that to go away. I mean, it's there. It's there. You know it's there. This is reality. You just have to pray that you can get through it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and hopefully that you can see that child alive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was our gift. Nathan was actually due September 9th. Mm-hmm. Um, on July 4th, I knew things were going askew mm-hmm. because I couldn't breathe. And um, my husband took me to the emergency room because I was leaning over the sink, gasping for air. And what had happened at this point in time was Nathan's kidneys had gone into failure and he was no longer processing the amniotic fluid mm-hmm. and it was gradually building up. Mm-hmm. So from the emergency room, I was admitted to the maternity floor and monitored for about a week till they could figure out a plan for me. Because at this point, Nathan was still well alive and moving around and, and, and slower, yeah. slower than before, but still moving. Mm-hmm. Great heartbeat. Um, and they monitored that several times through the day. Um, finally, the second week of July... They thought about discharging me back to home, but the fluid was still building up. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point in time, I was getting edematous feet, ankles, legs, yeah. fingers. My calcium level skyrocketed. It was giving me heart arrhythmias. Something else was going on. 
So the third week of July, they decided that their best thing to do would be to put a tap into my uterus and drain off some of the fluid because I wanted to take the pregnancy as far as I could for Nathan. And um, what had happened was they did that on the the morning the morning of the 24th of July Mm -hmm. and that sent me into labor Mm -hmm. and Nathan was born golly I was trying to look that up because it's been so many years he would have been 23 this July yeah Um, he was born early morning of the 25th Mm -hmm. and of July July. and he was born on my younger sister's birthday and he was born feet first ready to go mm-hmm. and they knew the staff at the hospital knew that this was not going to be a viable birth but they had the special care nursery nurses come in and the doctor come in and they tried to um, intubate him but because his lungs weren't able to develop that right. didn't take well so they gave him just oxygen by mask to keep him comfortable and wrapped him up and put him in my arms and mm-hmm. I got to hold him and he opened his eyes and he had the bluest eyes ever, and he was fuzzy all over. Yeah. And he grabbed my finger, and I just held him the whole time. And I had that as a gift that I can hold forever. Yeah. And I treasure that, and I can still see it. I can still feel it. And my husband was with me at the mm-hmm. time, but he went home to the other two kids to get them cleaned up and ready to come up to the hospital to see their brother. Mm-hmm. So my mom stayed with me. And a priest had come in the day before and had given Nathan and myself last rites. Mm-hmm. And that was such a comforting sacrament, comforting mm-hmm. very comforting, that I, I had assurance that though Nathan wasn't going to be with us for long, that he would be loved where he's going deeply. Mm-hmm. And the people that are still here loved him deeply. And so it, I can't say it made it easier to let Nathan go. It wasn't. No. And the next year was terrible. Mm-hmm. But um, so did your kids get to see him? They did alive? not get to no. see him alive. Mm-hmm. No. Um, but they came up, and what sadly was the hospital all of a sudden decided to move me off the maternity floor, mm-hmm. and onto a med surgical floor, and they put green teardrops on my dra- door, so people coming in would know. But not everybody was educated. Mm-hmm. And as it was, to what those meant. As, mm-hmm. as to what those meant. And um, my mom and dad, of course, came in and spent time with Nathan after he died. And my mom went home to help my husband get the other two ready and up. Mm-hmm. And my dad stayed with me and bathed Nathan and got him dressed for mm-hmm. them to pick him up. Right. Um, it, he went from my room where we were to the... I'm sorry... It's okay. It's okay. It's Dr. Stephen Cole picked him up, actually, so they didn't have to walk him down to the morgue. Oh. So Dr. Stephen Cole came up, mm-hmm. and I'll never forget this. He was the one person that reached out to me, that, and he had a little teddy bear, and he said, I thought your son might like this. Oh, that's and so sweet. And he, he scooped, took Nathan after his bath, and he was dressed, um, took him down, and he didn't carry him but he took the the baby isolate and everything mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like he was proceeding with a, a newborn somewhere mm-hmm. and took care of Nathan after that that was after Andy and Jennifer got to see him and spend time with him but mm-hmm. 
he reached out and did that. But there was other staff that wasn't educated. You know, they would yeah. come in and say, why isn't your baby crying? And that's an awfully quiet baby you have there. And Oh, how hard that would have been. I just didn't know. I had no words. Mm-hmm. And I remember my husband getting very angry at one of the staff members. Yeah. And asked the floor nurse not to allow her in the room again. Yeah. Because even after my husband told her that the baby had died, that his son had died, she kept yammering on about the baby being so still. It's like she wasn't even listening to him when he was trying to explain to her. So there's a lot of educating, I think, that had to have been done back 23 years ago that that wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And um, the hardest part, I think, was leaving the hospital without a baby in my arms. And what a betrayal that felt like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and getting home yeah and having no baby yeah and your breast milk coming in and having to wear tight bands to keep the breast milk from leaking yeah and waking up thinking you're hearing a baby cry when right. it's just a cat outside yeah you know but you swear it's a baby crying and a baby needing its mom you know mm-hmm. and um we had his funeral a week later mm-hmm. and he's buried not too far from home and I have a couple sisters that go every birthday and we celebrate there and, mm-hmm. and do special things. And then my kids and I will get together and we celebrate his life. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, my first husband passed away eight years after Nathan did. Mm-hmm. But um, that first year of grief with Nathan, I felt like I lived in a glass box that I couldn't reach out to anybody mm-hmm. and nobody could understand where I was. And my first husband was afraid that I was going to be sad forever yeah, and never be able to get happy. And my kids were confused and lost, and I didn't know how to help them. And when I talked to their pediatrician, there wasn't a lot of counseling for grieving kids back then. No, no, not at all. And Not at all. And to this day, I think it affects each of them differently. Mm -hmm. Like I said, my son's 38, my daughter's 34, and I think Mm -hmm. she still has thoughts of you know she talks about when men leave her her brother was her first she still talks about that and the way she phrases it sometimes hurts my heart that she was so hurt and lost and as a mom you don't want that for your kids no you know no I know yeah I understand that for sure right um but he You've, I've learned over the years, you learned how to love in the absence, mm-hmm. that that love is always there. Yes. And it multiplies. And the, the one of the greatest gifts I think I received from Nathan, whose main, main name means gift, mm-hmm. is the depth of love that compounds itself when you lose a child for every other living human being. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like I have more compassion and caring and empathy within me yeah and empathy than I had before Mm -hmm. and it's crazy to me it's hard to even understand how that change ends up happening but it does right and it's not like we weren't empathetic before but the depth of empathy changes Mm -hmm. and magnifies itself Mm -hmm. and I think that's just the glory of how God set up this plan Mm -hmm. for at least Mark and I and Nathan Mm mm-hmm And I know that when Mark died, we did hospice at home. And he was so comfortable with that. Yeah. And uh, one of the gifts I've learned from Nathan was the 
process of grief, I wasn't actually losing my marbles. It's just a process. Mm -hmm. And it's a hard process, but it's one that everybody will deal with at some point in their life. Yeah. Yeah, you can't it you can't get through life without no. dealing with that. Exactly. And, and you know, that's I love how you talked about the love, the immense love that you felt because that's what grief is really. Grief is a, an expression of your deep love. It is an expression of your deep love exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I, I find like grief is like a dance. You go from this deep love and empathy to sometimes fear fear, Mm -hmm. fear of the future, fear of I am I going to be this way forever. Mm -hmm. And when I look back on it, I realize no, I wasn't there forever. But was it a process? Yes. Mm -hmm. Was it a hard process? Yes. Would I be lying if I said each day got better? Some days are, some days aren't Mm -hmm. to this day. Yeah, you know, because yeah. I'm sure you still have hard days mm-hmm. even now. I do. Twenty three years, years later. later, you know, and it's not just anniversaries, or the anniversary of his birthday, or the day he died, or the anniversary of Christmas, or family gatherings. It could be something as monumental as I was back at work, and I was having a horrible day, mm-hmm. and this child came around the counter where I was working, and her hand was very sticky and very small. Yeah. And she, for some reason, just grabbed my hand, and it was as monumental as that. And that may have been a small thing, but it was mm-hmm. a huge thing for me. Mm-hmm. And I was didn't I broke down into tears. Yeah. And this little girl was looking at me like, "Did I hurt you?" So I bent down and gave her a hug, and I said, "No, you healed me." Yeah, and tears are healing. They are. They are healing. And I didn't want her to be scared of that. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to explain that to people, too. It is. It is. I've been trying to work on that. Yeah. Because I'm going, I went back to work yesterday for the first time, mm-hmm. and I wrote my staff a letter. I, I put that letter in my blog, so you can see it there if you uh, want to go to the website. But yes. in, in that blog, I talked about if, if I cry, it's only because I loved Andy so much. Mm-hmm. And tears are not a sign of weakness. No but a sign of healing. And I just think of tears in a totally different way than I used to. Mm -hmm. And when I first tried going back to work, you know, only five weeks after Andy, I hadn't learned that yet. And I had thought those tears were a sign of weakness and me falling apart. But now I know better. That's a gift. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is. It's a gift. It's a hard one gift. Mm -hmm. And I know, unfortunately, after I had Nathan, I decided to take the full maternity leave. Yeah. And wasn't due to come back to work for 12 weeks. But in a week, my boss called and asked me when I was coming back to work. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'm entitled to my 12-week maternity leave. Right. Um, he said, well, you don't have a baby to take care of. You're not getting up in the middle of the night. Why can't you come back now? And I said, I can't for myself. I have to take care of myself first. Yeah. And it sound, he thought it sounded very selfish at the time. It's, it's so strange when you think about that. You know, we are typically given 12 weeks mm-hmm. to celebrate the life of your baby and to take care of the life of your baby. But when your child dies, that's not what people are typically given. No. I mean, I, I am very blessed that... You know, financially, we could 
certainly live off my husband's salary and I could take the time that I needed mm-hmm. and just leave to take care of myself and to really work on healing, which is hard, hard work. And then when I came back, I feel really, really ready. But so many other moms that I've talked to had to go back so soon. And they weren't at all ready. I've talked to other pediatricians who had to go back to work and see kids like pediatric ER docs. And and they said it was horrible. It was horrible and I hate it. I mean, I had one tell me she hated every minute of every day at work now, which mm. of course she loved her job before. Right. It's because she was unable to take that time, I think, to heal. And then it's hard when you're busy, especially a busy physician or a busy nurse or whatever job you are, it's hard to be able to really work on your healing because that takes such deliberate effort and time. Very deliberate effort. So if you don't, if you're just plowing along trying to get through day after day and busy, busy, and you don't take that time, then it may be, I certainly hope not for these women, but it may be that they will never be able to experience, you know, the love of seeing those kids and seeing those patients again. Or, or being happy with their profession. Mm-hmm. That it, That's a difficult situation. It's, um, I think, in today's society, and even granted back then 20 years ago, there wasn't a lot on um, child loss no. or infant loss or even miscarriages. It's just not a discussed thing back then. Mm-hmm. And women, I think, need to support each other and build each other up and make sure that that time is allowed them. And I know my um, boss at that time was not happy that I stood my ground and it took everything to stand my ground and take those 12 weeks. And it definitely was still not enough time. No, I'm sure it wasn't. No, and one of the first tasks I had to do when I got back was um, bring a breast pump up to the maternity floor on that unit. And I think I shared this with you, but um, I did it because that's part of my job. I was not ready to do that, but there was no one else available. This woman needed it before she left. Her baby was in special care. So I managed to get the pump up to the patient's room, have her sign the appropriate paperwork. When I left, I got in the elevator and I fell apart. Right. And I was sobbing. And I never remember this cleaning woman's name. She didn't ask me what was wrong. She asked me where I work. She took me by my hand and her arm around my back and walked me all the way back to work and sat me down in our break room and told my boss that I needed a few minutes to get myself together. And I never knew her name. Oh, my. I know. What a blessing it to was. have her in that spot at and that I moment. And I wished at that point in time I'd known her name. And I just think God sent me an angel. Yeah. And that's it. That's I've what never, I I've never seen her again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, But you needed her at that moment. I needed it. I needed somebody. And he mm-hmm. sent her. Mm-hmm. And that was amazing. And I remember that. That's such a cherished memory, although it was hard. The first year of grief for me was very difficult um, explaining how I felt. And I had to do certain things because I couldn't find anything available. Like I think I told you, I bought um, paint by numbers. Mm -hmm. And I would paint whatever color I was feeling that day. Mm -hmm. And if it was black, I painted all the black spots. If it was gray, I painted all the gray spots, and I stayed in a black and gray 
dark blue area for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And I know another time I had gone to Salvation Army and purchased a box of plates and cups. Mm-hmm. And I took them down to a company that had big trash buckets that they could tip down. Yeah. And I stood there and smashed every one of them because that's how I felt yeah. shattered yeah. and broken. And I wanted something to resemble how I felt at the time. Yeah. And the the, com- the gentleman that owned company didn't ask a question. He just went out there and did it. Oh, so that was so another nice. person that was just there at the appropriate time to do what I needed. Yeah, I have a friend who owns a gym that I would work out at. And I went there shortly afterwards. And I took a big, like, it was not really a sledgehammer, but it was a metal pole. And just hit the heck out of a big tractor tire. I mean, I just... Just hit it and hit it and hit it, envisioning a white BMW, which is what right. hit us. Yes. You know, it, it, and it was healing. It, it is. was healing to try just to whack it. And it was. It was mm-hmm. healing for me. And mm-hmm. as silly as it sounds, it brought me a sense of that's where I am. Mm-hmm. And well, and it gives you a little bit of a sense of control yes, for some crazy for something reason. It does. That you feel like I am in control of hitting this tire as hard as I can or breaking these dishes because everything in your life feels out of control out of control and shattering Mm -hmm. and losing a child it shatters your future Mm -hmm. it shatters any promise that you may have held with Mm -hmm. that child that is Mm -hmm. no longer there but is there in a different presence it's there in a deeper gift in your heart Mm -hmm. and every moment of your life is shared with that love of that child Mm -hmm. And it's hard. And there are days when I see glimpses of that. And there are other days where I just don't. And, 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 and I think part of that is because it's still pretty early for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are just in November now. So what, 15 months? Mm-hmm. And, and there are just lots of days that are just so, so hard that I can't see that. And I just want them back. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And to be honest, it will always be that way. Mm-hmm. But you'll come to a point in your heart, I think, and you'll know it when it happens. That, And I can only describe it as a bittersweet, deep love. That he's not here. We have an empty high chair in my dining room. We still have it. Really? Yes. And, and it sits there. And at family gatherings, I'll bring it up to the table, but we'll put a planter on it. Mm-hmm. So it's, he's always there always Mm -hmm. and um I I can just feel this presence in moments like that it's just there was another time where I can remember two years after Nathan was gone as a parent you worry about your children all the time Mm -hmm. even as they become adults um but I was wondering about Nathan and what he would have looked like and Mm -hmm. um what would he be playing with now? And even if he was handicapped and a dwarf, I mean, um, would he have been a happy child or would his life been full of medical pain? Mm-hmm. And um, a truck pulled up in front of me. And it was a very old truck. And it was very dusty and very dirty. And had I had a smartphone back then, I would have taken a picture of this. But... On the back of the pickup truck, somebody had printed with their finger in the dust, he is alive in the wind. Wow. And to this day, it gives me, makes the hair stand up at the back of my neck. But now, 
when I feel a breeze and touch my cheek and not like a wind, but just a gentle breeze, I know it's Nathan. Mm -hmm. So he's always there with me. Always. Yeah. I feel that way. So Andy loved music as all Mm -hmm. of my listeners would know, because if you listen to the very end, you can always hear Andy. An angelic voice. Mm -hmm. It is. So because of that, I think I, we were given five wind chimes <laughs> by different people. And I have one up at our cottage that we keep up north, um, another one I gave to a friend, and then I have one in the front yard and two in the back, and they're big, big ones in the back. And I always think to myself, whenever I hear those wind chimes, it's Andy singing to me. He is. And I always just think of it that way. And there are days when I feel like there's no wind at all and those wind chimes shouldn't be going. But I'm thinking about Andy and I hear those chimes. And I think it's just him telling me I'm okay. Yeah. And singing just a little bit to me. So those have been really comforting to me just to be oh, able I'm to glad. hear them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So That's it reminds enjoyable. me of your breeze (laughs) the breeze and it's funny i have a very large wind chime that hangs outside Mm -hmm. my uh living room windows Mm -hmm. from the front from the front porch area and my mother my elderly mother who we moved in this weekend um she's slightly has going into dementia Mm -hmm. she was sitting in the living room she says do you hear that and i'm like what mom she said listen it's your wind chimes and there's no wind Oh, so even she picked was, up on that. And that was today? That was yesterday. yesterday. Yes, yesterday. yesterday. Yep. Oh. And I thought, oh, okay. So when I went, she was right. I was sitting right next to her and she was right. They were, but there wasn't a breeze. I didn't see one. Well, now you maybe know why. Maybe it was Andy prepping you for today. Maybe it was Andy <laughs> prepping me for today. Oh, well, hence the rock. I know. I do want to talk about the rock. Yes. And And if you all listened last week... Jessica talked about how she began making rocks and hiding rocks. And the first, like, and she also made a set of rocks for people that were at a retreat with her. And then, if you remember back even further to episode number two with Stephanie, Stephanie went to that retreat the next year. And someone else who had gotten a rock from Jessica made rocks for everyone in that group. So... Stephanie has a rock with Kian's name on it. And it was all because of Jessica, who lives in Portland, Oregon. And Stephanie was invited to this retreat by a different woman who lives in Arizona. And anyway, it's it's a beautiful story of how these rocks all came into being. It's When I talked to Stephanie about it, she almost was near tears at the idea of knowing the story behind this precious rock that she has with Kian's name on it. Well, Michelle, you listened last week and heard about the rocks and the different stories with the rocks. And now you've got to tell your rock story. Well, my rock story is I started painting rocks a couple of years ago and hiding them around the children's hospital. That was one one thing I thought I could do for small kids mm-hmm. that I enjoy doing. And through the summer, well, this summer I painted one in September, and it has a cross with the word grace written on it. 
And I just couldn't find a place for this rock. It just, I couldn't find a place to hide it. We, we, my husband and current husband and I are campers. I couldn't find a place at the campground I wanted to leave this rock. I had left several rocks already down through Lemon Holton and the Children's Hospital and mm-hmm. different areas Lemon around. Lemon the cancer center here. Yes. Um, uh, different areas around Grand Rapids. I belong to a Facebook group called Grand Rapids Rocks. Mm-hmm. And you put put on the back information, you can keep or rehide this rock, please post it to Grand Rapids Rock. Well, this one white rock that I put across with grace on it, just, I couldn't find a place for it. Mm-hmm. And then when I was listening to the podcast and you were speaking about grace, it is so true. I knew exactly where the rock had to be. Mm-hmm. So I brought it with me today for you. I know, and I love it. It's yeah. beautiful. And I... It, it is perfect for me. And it was, I think it was meant for me. I and think it was. It was meant to be here in this house uh. because we focus on that a lot. My husband and I talk about grace a lot and giving ourselves grace mm-hmm. um, when we get upset or angry or impatient or any number of emotions, giving ourselves that grace and then giving other people grace when they exactly. try to help and say things that are helpful and end up saying the exact wrong thing that is not helpful. Exactly. We ran into a lot of that in the early years after Nathan died, Mm -hmm. even, even four to five years out, you know, people would say, well, you're not having another baby. Yeah. No, we had trouble conceiving and Nathan was our last gift and Mm -hmm. we're happy. Mm -hmm. We're, we're finally settled and move, you know, yeah. Able to move forward and look forward. Yeah. And, you know, we had a lot of things like that going on, or a lot of people would say even right after, well, he wasn't meant to be. Yeah. Well, yes, he was. He was meant to be exactly given to me and my husband and exactly what has happened. God has planned and that's God's grace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my first husband and I, we talked a lot about grace and how it's easier to give other people grace than it is yourself. Yeah. But it's important to give yourself that grace too. Exactly. Really important. And I think in general, grieving parents do a pretty bad job of that. They do. You end up making those expectations too high. Mm -hmm. And when you set those expectations too high and you disappoint yourself, you get kind of upset with yourself and feel like I should be doing better than this. I should be doing this. I shouldn't be doing that. Gwen talks a lot about don't should yourself, she says should, all yes. the time. Don't, don't say should yourselves. Yeah. So you need to not do that. But that comes to grace again. Mm-hmm. And and not divine grace. It's grace that you give yourself. Yeah. Um so that is just key. And I want people to understand that and know that and try to grasp onto that and think about um forgiving yourself and giving yourself grace when you don't meet those expectations that you wanted to. Right. And the next thing too, I would warn grieving parents is comparison. Mm -hmm. It's don't compare where you are with someone that lost a husband or a wife or a parent or even another Another child. child. It's every, because every person's grief is different different and individual. Exactly. Although it's interesting, I would say we're all different, Mm -hmm. but yet there are huge similarities too with um, people who have lost children, no matter what their age. 
Stephanie and I have discussed that too. We really feel strongly about it. There are lots of different groups that restrict themselves and will have, say, a retreat for parents who had children who died of heart defects or parents of children who had complex medical problems or you know other other kinds of things very very specific but in many ways it does not matter it doesn't because we all lost our child and you think that you need to have had the exact same story in order to connect but it's so not true it doesn't you and i have completely different stories exactly completely completely my kid was you know pretty normal he was anxious and you know had the share of difficulties but he was 14 years old and Mm -hmm. a teenager and doing you know teenager things yeah and your son lived only a few hours Mm -hmm. and you knew he was only going to live a few hours at right. most. But yet the pain that we experience afterwards is very, very similar. And profound. And profound. And profound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. Although I do feel like, I feel bad <laughs> for you and for parents like you because I feel like I am given a little more sympathy from other people having lost Andy at a much older age and so unexpectedly, um, as opposed to you when other people didn't even get to meet him or see him or mm-hmm. know him. Right. I, I think it's easier to not be as patient with you. Would you say that's the case? I, I've noticed that in some, in some mm-hmm. aspects. But like I said, back 23 years ago when Nathan died, there wasn't a lot of help or support from anywhere. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't talked about. I even learned from my mother-in-law who requested when she heard that Nathan had died not to say anything to her mother who was still alive. And it wasn't until years later after my first husband died that I found out the reason why she didn't want to say anything me to say anything to grandma was because she had a child that died. She had a daughter that died. And you didn't even know. I didn't even know. It just isn't talked about. Yeah. Whether you lose that baby at 12 weeks or 13 weeks, it, it just isn't talked about. And what's so funny is that your mother w- thought that she was protecting her mother mm-hmm. by not bringing it up. Right. And that was not true. Not true at all. No, I think had you brought it up, your grandma probably would have been able to talk to you and comfort you in ways that no one else could have. Exactly. So that was definitely not the right thing. No. And no. In hindsight. In hindsight, it wasn't. And mm-hmm. I wish I'd got to know my, my grandmother-in-law that much more. Yeah. But unfortunately, my mother-in-law died. Nathan died in July. She died in October of that year. Mm-hmm. And so you didn't even get to. No. No, so. So another really cool story that you told me mm-hmm. was about um, when your first husband, Nathan's dad, died and what happened kind of around that time. Can you tell that story for yes. me? Yes. Um, we did hospice at home with Mark, and he had battled cancer for four years. Mm-hmm. And um, he he had an amazing sense of humor with it. I mean, he would go into chemo and ask the nurse, can I read that bag? And it took her three or four days to finally click what was going on. And she said, well, Mr. King, 
Why do you want to read this every time you come? Well, I'm going to make sure it doesn't say Kevorkian Industries on here because you're killing me. <laughs> you know, things like that. But mm-hmm. um, the day he died, or the evening that he died, my youngest sister was with me. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, she's the youngest and he was the youngest. And um, I had made a promise to Mark that he, I would have him all cleaned up and um, shaved if he, if he had to be shaved. And mm-hmm. so I was taking care of that. And my sister said to me, why are you doing that right now? Well, as a nurse, you know when a body is shutting down. Hospice makes you very aware of the process. Mm-hmm. And I can be they're very thankful for them. They were in and out of the house quite frequently. Yeah. And um, Mark, um, was his body was shutting down. Mm-hmm. So I was doing what I promised, getting him all cleaned up and getting clean clothes on him. And um, he took his last breath and a tear rolled out of his eyes and I crawled into bed with him. I just started keening, just howling like I did when Nathan died. Just mm-hmm. the awful gut-wrenching lament. lament that comes out. Mm-hmm. And my sister stopped me and she goes, Shelly, stop, listen. I'm like, what? I was kind of irritated that she was interrupting me. as this, you know, what are you doing? Well, uh, the radio was on, and I was playing, You're the Peace of Heaven on Earth. Mm-hmm. And I, th- to this day, so I beautiful. thank her for stopping me and listening. Yes. And I looked at her, and she was sobbing, too. Mm-hmm. And we both had that moment and listened to that song and loved Mark the last little bit that he was there, and he just he was gone mm-hmm. that peacefully, just as peacefully as Nathan died in my arms. Mark left us. Yes. So, and then you said the DJ, right? Isn't it? You said something about someone said their name was Nathan. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, my memory's kind of failing me. I guess all the stress <laughs> from taking care of my mom. But yeah, it was it was just Nathan all over. Yeah. The whole living room, just the Nath- the DJ's name the DJ's name was Nathan Nathan mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like so Nathan was playing was that playing song, that song quite literally literally mm-hmm. for me as Mark was leaving mm-hmm. so and he was there to help his dad I just think that is extra cool yeah and when you think about listening to the radio it's not that often that they say their name no right no. so they said their name mm-hmm. his he said his name Nathan right just so you guys could hear that. I guess. And Marilyn stopped me song. to listen. Right. My youngest sister stopped me. Because Marilyn heard him say his name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then play that song. And play that song. Yeah. Exactly. I, I just thought that was really cool. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure to share that. And he was there. And he's there every day. Both of them are. So, mm-hmm. you know. And unfortunately, I lost my dad three years ago. And I was there for the whole week that I took care of him. And I sang to him the mercy chaplet every night we sang together Mm -hmm. and the last day that my dad was alive I said to dad I said you know Mark and Nathan are here for you I'm gonna go home and take a shower and um my mom at the time my mom and my two younger sisters were on Mm -hmm. their way in so I said dad you'll be okay and I was on the road they lived in Glen I was on the road back to Grand Rapids and I wasn't on the road seven to ten minutes and I got a call that dad had died Mm-hmm. I said, Dad, if you were waiting that long for me to leave the room, I could have left yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. That's so, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, are there any other tidbits, pieces of advice you might like to give 
to grieving parents who are earlier in their process? Give yourself the needed time. Mm -hmm. Give each other the needed time Mm -hmm. and the needed space. Um, You know, we talked a lot about, you mentioned mothers mm -hmm. taking time. Dads need it too. Dads need it too. They need the time. They need the space. My first husband after Nathan died, men and women grieve so differently, Mm -hmm. especially mothers and fathers. Um, I noticed, and it was irritating me, but Mark was going around fixing every little thing in the house that I had requested to be done for years that for some reason he decided to do after Nathan died. I mean, doorknobs, register covers. Yeah. You know, he wanted to keep his hands busy, I think. His hands busy. Yeah, mm-hmm. he didn't want to have... He couldn't fix his son, is what he told me. After he was diagnosed with cancer, he said, you know, I'm thinking about that. I couldn't fix Nathan, but I could fix this. Yeah. And I could fix that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't fix you the hurt you were feeling, but I could fix this. Well, and he thought probably of those tiny little things that had sort of annoyed you. And right. he wanted to make things as good as he could I think so and those yeah. were tiny little things tiny he could little fix things because he couldn't fix the big thing no he couldn't mm-hmm. but I, I I do think men I feel really bad for dads I really do so do I I feel like they are definitely expected to heal quicker mm-hmm. um, to be back to work to be back to that to um, be stronger winner, to be stronger yep. there's a lot of pressure on the men. On the men. They kind of get lost in the shuffle of everything. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate. And I wish more men would speak out and be more prevalent in the grieving process, especially yeah. when you lose a child. I, I feel like my husband has been able to do mm-hmm. that quite a lot. Yeah. And he definitely has people speak to him about... Uh, grief and just other struggles in general and I think Mm -hmm. it's because he's more willing to open up and be vulnerable in that way that a lot of others men are afraid to be vulnerable afraid very much so Mm -hmm. very much I'm looking forward I've got a couple dads that are going to be coming on the show soon so I think that will be um good to have a little bit of a different take mm-hmm. that way. Yes. I've definitely had some dads reach out. So dads are listening too. Good. Because they need to. They do. And, and everybody needs to go through this process and mm-hmm. not try to push it aside and try to be strong. Right. And I think as parents, as a couple, there are times when Eric kind of needs to be strong for me and there are times when I need to be strong for him Mm -hmm. there are times he needs to hold me when I'm crying and there are times when I hold him when he's crying and there are times we just hold each other and cry cry. yes and all of those things are needed all of those they all are and I remember Mark and I doing the same thing Mm -hmm. and I can remember the year anniversary of Nathan's death Mark planned all on his own and he's not a planner um, a family trip mm-hmm. um, that we, we it was just a road trip out to West Virginia to the Greenbrier Railroad he and my older son were into railroads at the time <sighs> and he it's not that he didn't want us to be at home but I think he just cherished the time as the family unit we were at that point in time in our lives mm-hmm. and that vacation got talked about a lot in the family it's well and it's neat that he planned it yeah 
Because that sounds like that was unusual. It was very unusual for him to mm -hmm. plan anything like that. You know, even when it came to family events with his side of the family, it was still something I would plan with his family. Yeah. And know? I bet you felt like you couldn't do it. I couldn't. Yeah. yeah. So wasn't that a great weight to be taken off? It you? was. That it, he could. That he could. Exactly. And that's a big thing, too, yeah. because I have a hard time doing a lot of that stuff too. my mm -hmm. normal kind of planning stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm normally the one that plans all our vacation stuff. I look up, you know, all of these different, uh, you know, I go on, um, try and rent different houses in a place because we, instead of staying in a hotel, because we had six people in our family, mm -hmm. so hotels are hard. So I try to rent an apartment or condo or something. And I would look at probably a hundred, you know, because that's just me. I want to get the perfect place mm -hmm. and, and I can't do that anymore. I just mm -hmm. can't. It's, I hope someday I will be able to do that, but it is just too much for me right now. Right now it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can't even think, I mean, I really have no idea what we're even doing for Christmas this year. So as far as thinking about a family vacation, I can't do that. Yeah. I couldn't have it at that point in time either, much less plan what I was going to have for dinner that day. Yeah, I know. You know, that was hit or miss. <laughs> Now I'm doing better with that. I've got the mm -hmm. whole week of meals planned. So oh, I'm, I'm doing much better that way. That, but okay. As far as like trips and things like that, that are going out a couple months. A couple months is about my limit. <laughs> I, who knows what's going to happen spring break this year. Everything right. will be booked up before I even think about it. But something will, ha something will appear. Something will appear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just want to thank you so much, thank Michelle, you. for agreeing to be on today. Thank I, you for having me. I applaud yeah. your courage. Well, and I just appreciate your insight, mm -hmm. um, being able to look back over these past 23 years mm -hmm. and what exactly you've been able to go through and how you've been able to show your growth. Uh, hopefully it gives my listeners a sense of hope. Uh, it certainly does to me. Hope and grace are there. They're present. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.